Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all this morning. I, I do appreciate the praise team. Thank you, Bethany and Charlie and Taylor, for leading us in worship. Read something this this week about worship, and it's worship happens anytime you recognize that Christ is above everything else in your life. He's above your job, your family, your car, your bank account. Um, I mean, he's above it all, and I appreciate y'all leading us in worship to recognize he is the one, the very breath in our lungs, the very breath in our lungs, and we, we love to sing that, and I heard a good sermon this last week by somebody that's dear, near and dear to me, and he said he's, he's also the money in your bank account. You know, we, we don't mind singing about the, the breath in our lungs, but when we start talking about the money in our bank account, it gets a little personal. But he, he has everything, right? He owns it all. We must have all available to him, the very breath of our lungs. This morning, before we get started, as I, I visited with Pastor English last night on the phone, we were talking and had a great visit and time of prayer. And um, God just kind of impressed on me something that I, I think we need to do this morning. He was reminding me how many people in, in this church body, they're just hurting, just hurting have something going on. Um, and I, I want you to know, I know Pastor English is hurting. I know their family's hurting. Uh, we all hurt. I have some hurts. And uh, today, uh, my dad celebrates his 80th birthday. And uh, we just got back from San Angelo last night, late, and seeing him. And uh, I couldn't be more grateful to the Lord God for giving me a father who showed me a picture of my Heavenly Father who taught me the word diligently, who's taught children all his life, as far as I can remember, in church, leading children's church and teaching. And my dad's very gifted at, at Bible teaching for children, and, which means he can teach anybody. Uh, and uh, he's just a joy to be around. He's, he's fun, but he, he's also battling cancer, much like Pastor Jeff. And, um, you know, it's, it's rough. It's been rough on him, and he's hurting. And so I, I think it's wise for us to stop and to pray for those who are hurting this morning and for you. Um, because sometimes those things in our life become a distraction from worshiping God. And so this morning, I want us to lift our burdens up first to the Lord. So, and I want to do it a little differently this morning. So wherever you are, if you've got a burden or if you want to stand for someone, I just want you to stand right where you are. We're not going to ask you to tell what you're, what you're burdened about, but I just want you to stand right where you are just to acknowledge I have a burden before God that I just need to lay at his throne. I'm going to stand on behalf of my, my own father because it's part of my burden. So please stand all across the room. I know there's many and it's likely you may not even stay seated. That's fine because there's a lot of hurt. So let's take time and pray and ask God to take these burdens that we might focus even more on him this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that we need you. God, we are desperate for you. God, you are the very breath of our lungs. You are the one we seek to worship. And God, by the looks of, of the people just standing. You know every need that is represented by the people standing. 
God, we, we don't even have to say it. We know your Holy Spirit takes the groanings of our heart before your very throne when we run out of words. God, we pray that you would be with each person represented here today. God, whether it be their personal burden that they're standing for or their burden for someone else. Or God, whether we're burdened for someone who's lost in our family. God, we, we lay those things before you. We are dependent on you to intervene. God, I pray that we would lay those things down at your feet, trusting them to your care this morning. God, that we might be able to focus on you, the one whom we desperately need more than anything. God, I thank you that you hear from heaven. You answer our prayers. God, it's not always like we desire them to be answered, but God, you are more than enough for each one. So, Father, comfort these people standing before me today. God, I pray that you would remind them that you're in charge of their lives. And, God, grant them a peace that passes understanding, a joy in the midst of trial and difficulty. And, God, may we honor you through the study of your word this morning that we might see more and know more of you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We finally made it to chapter 3. Um... And I want us to talk a little bit about breaking free from the past. Uh, breaking free from the past. I don't, I don't know, any of you remember the old, old uh, show, TV show, Candid Camera? They've, they've had a remake of it. Yeah, it's old people like, yeah, I, I remember. There's a new show called What Would You Do? I don't know if you've seen that one. It gives you some scenarios of some situations. And basically, they're hidden camera shows. So they've got this hidden camera, and they're focusing in, trying to find out what people would do. Um, there, there was an old Candid Camera episode, and there was an actor on a very busy sidewalk, and, and he's, the actor's just starting to look at the ground, you know, as people are walking by, and he, he just gets to looking at the ground, and, you know, he, he's just kind of looking. And then he gets down on his hands and knees, and if I were younger, I'd do that. He'd get down on his hands and knees, and he's just looking for something. And before you know it, a couple other people join him in looking. You know this had to be in Texas where people care about one another, right? Because that doesn't happen in some places of the world. And, and, and it may not happen here now. But after a few minutes, you know, people are, people are, one person stops and gets down and they're looking. And another one gets down and they're looking. A few minutes later, the camera shows about a, a dozen, half dozen to a dozen people down on the ground searching. And the actor gets up and he walks away and leaves the people just searching. And they, they have no idea what they're even looking for. You know how many people in our world live today and they're searching because they know there's more to life than what they've got and they don't have any idea what they're looking for they don't they can't find it because they don't know what's really missing and they they try to plug that void in their life with many things with money with alcohol with drugs with you know just you know, that job, you know, that, that house, that car, that whatever they think is going to make them happy. Listen, if you want to break free from your past, if you want to break free from your past, it, it matters where you put your eyes. This passage is very clear on where you put your eyes. We're going to talk in the next few weeks. First today, we're going to talk about looking up, just simply looking up. We see that in verses 1 through 4. 
It matters. Our eyes cannot be distracted by the things of this world. They can't be distracted by our past. We've got to look up at Christ and who he is. And then we also, we need to look out verses 5 through 9 of this passage of Colossians chapter 3. And then we'll find that we need to look inward and then we need to look around. But today we're going to focus on looking up, looking up. So if you will, take your Bible and stand with me as we read the Word of God, Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11, even though our focus is only through verse 4 today, so that we have the context of the passage. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You may be seated. As we begin to look at this Colossians chapter 3, we're, we're moving. There's a transition that Paul is making. In chapters 1 and 2, he is teaching us doctrinal truths. In chapter 3, he begins to address to the church at Colossae how you must live. What does a Christian look like? How do they live? What does it look like as you live out Christ in your life? And I assure you, what you believe does affect in large part about how you behave. That's why it's important that you study the Word of God to understand who you are in Christ now. Otherwise, you'll be tempted to go back to that fleshly life over and over again. In Colossians, we learn that Christ, we, we've already learned Christ must be the center of our lives, not philosophy, not legalism. Jesus is supreme all over all of creation. We said he is preeminent. That's that big word that means there is nothing above him. Nothing. His church, in his church, he is supreme. In his creation, he is supreme. He is supreme over the life of each individual Christ follower. It, it moves from the things that we declare about truth in chapters 1 and 2 to what Christ has done for us and how we must live for him now. It does little good if we can declare and defend the truth of God if we fail to demonstrate it in our lives, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says with, without love, we're just a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you can't implement the love of Christ, 
then you're just a noisy person. Let's pray that we're not like those listed in Titus 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Paul warned Titus about that. Warren Wearsby, if you know who that is, tells us that pagan, the pagan religions of Paul's day actually taught that there was no personal relationship with the, the worshiper at the, that time. That there was no personal morality. The worshiper could bow down before an idol. They could make an offering at the altar of sacrifice in their pagan day, and then they could just go about and live just any way they wanted. Not so with Christianity. Why? Because the Christ who calls you just as you are calls you to change to be more like his image. He loves you so much. He takes you as you are, but he loves you enough. He will not leave you that way. He demands you follow him and surrender to him and be like him. You see, in Christianity, it's different. Duty is connected to doctrine. And it's not a duty that we're earning anything. It's a grace we get to walk in. Paul says we're set free from the powers around us. Now he tells us that we've been set free from a life to live above moral reproach in this world now. God's plan is to first make us new, then he challenges challenges us to live as new people. You don't have to be like you've always been. You just don't. You can break free from the past. First, you must look up. So if you're taking notes, just jot these things down. To break free from the past, look up. And we're going to focus on verses 1 through 4, and I'll get to it in just a moment. There's a a few things that that I want you to make note of. Instead of gazing at the ground, look up. Look at verses 1 through 4 one more time. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to the church, Christ followers. So if you, as the church, know Christ, what's the first instruction? Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, your mind and your affection needs to be on him and where he's seated. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will be then you will appear with him in glory. The opening of this text parallels Colossians 2.20, which says, since you died with Christ. In other words, there's a conditional statement, okay? It's kind of like in mathematics. If you you have these if-then statements, you're like, oh, don't talk about math. That's my degree. I'm sorry. I talk about math sometimes. If this is true, then this is also true. It's a conditional statement. And so he's saying, if then you have died with Christ or been buried with Christ. And now he's saying, if now you have been raised with Christ. Well, if you've been buried with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, right? Amen. He didn't leave us there in the grave. He doesn't just come to crucify the old man. He raises a new man up within within each one of us. And so... His instruction here is that since you died with Christ is is very similar. Um, And and since we've died with Christ, we don't have to follow the rules of the hollow deception of philosophy and legalism anymore. We're not just bound by what the world teaches is right and wrong. We are tied to the truths of the Word of God. 
Ephesians, or Colossians 3.1 establishes the truth that since we've been raised with Christ, we have a new status. We have a new way of life. There is something more. We now have a power source for living. Believers have died with Christ. We've been buried with him and we've been raised with him. Just as we saw, as we see in Ephesians 2.6 as well, it states that we've been seated with him in the heavenly places. That's amazing. That's amazing. Listen, your home is not here. Amen? You are passing through. My home is not here. I was out walking yesterday before we left town in San Angelo. I'm just walking through the streets, going back to the same house. My dad actually lives in my grandmother's home. Um, it's, the only, it's the only home still left in our family's possession that I've been going to since I was born, okay? It's old. I'm old. And I walk up and down those streets. I've loved that street. I mean, I, it's, they've got some nice homes. They're older homes, but they're, they're beautiful. I like it. I like San Angelo because we met there. I have a lot of great memories tied to San Angelo. And I just love it. And, I, and as I was walking by, I was noticing the nice homes, the pickup trucks, the cars. And I'm like, oh, man, those are nice. Oh, that, that's nice. And then God put something in my mind. It's like, this stuff one day will be gone. In fact, these people are going to die and this stuff will belong to someone else just like your grandparents. That home doesn't belong to them anymore. Why? Because these are the things of the earth. These are earthly things. And, and their, their home wasn't here. Your home is not here. And, and so we've been seated with him in the heavenly places. This is our position. We need to realize the truth. In order to break free from the past, you need to realize that you are not a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's important because if you don't realize that, then all the worries of the world are going to overwhelm you. When you realize where your true citizenship is, you realize, hey, I'm just passing through. My home's not here. Whatever happens is okay. Paul writes, seek the things that are above. I don't know, maybe you heard, this is an old, old statement from years ago. It used to go something like this. He's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Anybody ever heard that one? I think that there's a Greek word for that called hogwash that is not true in fact i think it's more possible that there's people today that are so worldly minded that they're no heavenly good we are so distracted by the things of the world that we have forgotten the kingdom of god has conquered jesus conquered death and the grave and he's calling people from death to life all the time and we've forgotten that because we're distracted by this world. And if we set our hearts on the things of this world daily, we'll experience power and freedom here on earth. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our focus is on things that will ultimately tarnish and rust and break down and burn up, our energy and emotions will be misplaced and we will be dissatisfied as Christ followers. 
But if we seek out Christ, and, and later on in that chapter, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, you will have great joy if your affection is set on him. Look up, church. Look up. Our feet may be here on this earth, but our hearts and our minds must be heavenly and heavenward. Your thoughts influence your actions. So if you place your thoughts on the things above and not on the things of the earth, then it, your heart's going to reflect that. When something happens to you, you're not going to be discouraged. This requires extreme focus because as humans, we tend to look down. Do we not? I do. I promise you, first thing's going to happen to me when I walk out of this door and get in this car and I head back on 35 driving, if somebody cuts me off, my tendency is not going to be look, to look heavenward. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just like you. I've got problems. I struggle. And I'll be going, they're going I'll show them. And my wife's going, hey, slow down. Not only are you scaring me, you're representing Christ. Don't you dare put a fish on the back of our car if you're going to do that which I haven't, by the way, because I'm still working on that. But listen, you're the, the, if I'm thinking correctly, even when, when I'm in my most difficult state struggling, which is usually driving the car for me, if I'm thinking Christ-like, I, I need to say, well, let, let them go. It's okay. I mean, this highway is going to be no more one day. It'll be okay. But my mind does not think like that naturally, does it? I get overwhelmed. We are influenced by the flesh. That's why we look at people and we make judgments on them. Oh, well, I, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like this about them. We, we look at circumstances and we allow our feelings and emotions to change. If you go read the book of Job, you remember, you know, there was a day when everybody was coming to report into God and Satan was one of them and God said, oh, have you considered my servant Job? You can go do anything you want, just don't take his life, right? <clears throat> So Job lost all his money, all his wealth, all his family except his wife and his friends. And his friends criticized him and his wife criticized him. Job 1.21, he says this. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What did Job remember to do in the midst of losing everything that he had on the planet? He remembered to worship. He remembered to worship. If we fix our eyes on the things above, God will change our desires. If we focus on Christ, then God will change our mind and our heart. Our affections will be different. We need to put our brain in gear and focus on the things that are spelled out as you read further in Philippians 4, verse 8, that, that Paul would write, what did he tell the Philippian church to set their affection on? He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I've thought about that passage a lot because that's our family passage. That's one of our family passages that God has impressed on us to live out this, this Christian walk. Um, but listen, let me ask you a question. What is true in this world? Christ. 
What is honorable in this life? Only Christ. Whatever is just in this life. We hear all about injustice. There's only one who's just. His name is Christ. And the just died for the unjust. Whatever is pure on this earth, that's Christ. What is lovely? Christ. What is commendable? Christ. Where there is excellence, that's Christ. Anything worthy of praise. In other words, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and set your affection on Christ. He's our only hope. By seeking that, we have the power to break free from our obsession with the pleasure of this world and to accumulate things and and to feel satisfied by those things. I want to give you five reasons to look up, and he tells them to us in verse 3 and 4. Number one, you've died. Verse 3, the first part of verse. He says, look, there's a reason you need to set your affection on, on Christ. Look back to the cross where Jesus died. We have no obligation to live like we used to live. None. Paul would later write in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you have a pen and paper, I would invite you to write this phrase down. I didn't come up with it, and I can't remember where I got it, or I would tell you. But it says this, because I died with Christ, I should have as little desire for improper worldly pleasures as a dead person. Huh? What kind of desires does a dead person have? None. None. I'll say it again, because I died with Christ, I should have as little desire for improper worldly pleasures as a dead person. That's enlightening. If you study who you are in Christ, your old self is dead. That's amazing. Hey, every time you have this fleshly desire, you're like, no, 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 Jesus nailed you to the cross, old man, old sinner. You're dead. You have no power over me anymore. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. You see, when we come to Christ and and we, we turn from our sin and we trust in the sacrifice that he made on the cross and God gives salvation, we don't just receive a cosmetic makeover. You don't get you don't just get made over or simply add a Christian veneer that laminates your life, so to speak. Our old nature is not renewed. It's not reformed. It is torn down and put to death. You've died. That's a reason to look up. Number two, not only have you died, your life is hidden in Christ. In verse three, the next part, your life is hidden with Christ. To have our lives hidden with the one who is seated at the right hand of God gives us both security and satisfaction. Look, I have not just died, but my life is hidden with Christ. I am with him already. My affection is with him. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which is a place, the ultimate place of power and authority. That's why when Jesus left this world, he said, all authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is seated at this right hand of power, and he commands authority. And your life is hidden there with him. Hallelujah, that we're with him, right? That he's with us is better. The image here is a treasure that is stored away in a secure place. How many of you have had a safety deposit box in your life? You, you put it there because it's a safe place, right? So if your house burns down, you still have your valuables. You know a lot of people have gone away from that, right? We don't, we don't keep valuables. They're all electronic now, right? And, and some people that do have valuables keep them in a safe at home, a fireproof safe, right? We like to hide and secure things that are precious and dear to us. The picture here is that your life is hidden with him. He is the one protecting it. He's the one securing it. He's the one that's holding it. Think about a seed that's buried here on earth. Our real lives are hidden from the world only to be revealed when Christ returns. Your new life is a mystery to people on the planet that don't know Christ. Have you ever seen that, that person who grew up just living and running after the devil as hard as they can and God transforms their lives and they turn back to Christ and their old friends cannot figure out who this new guy is? What happened to you? They don't understand why. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, people who don't know Christ in this world do not understand you. They don't. They don't understand you. That, and I'm, one of the things that I, I'm hearing about you as a body, and I'm so thankful for you, and, and I'm so blessed to hear it, uh, Pastor Jeff was telling me he's hearing comments all over Kyle about how well you're you're loving them and loving each other and how you become a pray, more praying people and, and how you just grow like that. And I'm telling you, the world does not understand it. It is a testimony of who Christ is. It makes them curious and they want to hear more. So keep it up, church. Keep it up. But know this, your life is hidden in Christ and the world cannot fathom that. Number three, if you're taking notes, Christ is your life. First part of verse 4. In a very real sense for the believer, Christ is what life is all about. Without him, we would be dead in our sins, right? 1 John 14, 6, Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Hmm. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to where? To the Father, except through Him. He is your life source. We, we talked about His blood sacrifice. Remember, we talked about how God used the, the Old Testament sacrifices and the blood covering so that now when God looks down and He sees you, if you're a Christ follower, you are covered by the blood of Christ. No longer does God see His broken law in you, he sees Christ's righteousness that covers you, and your life is hidden in him, and he is your life. 
by realizing Christ is our life, we have this new attitude about anything that happens to us. Look, we have nothing to fear at all. Paul writes for me to live as Christ, to die is much better, it's gain. Do you remember in the the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's the stories about Peter and and, and the apostles, and and they get thrown in jail sometimes, right? Paul and Silas. And and what happens, you know the little kid's story, they're in chains, and at midnight, what do they do? Oh, this is terrible. I hate this. Uh, Why is God so mean to me? No, they're not doing that, are they? What are they doing? They're singing praises to God. Praise him from whom all blessings flow. I mean, I'm telling you, they are rejoicing. Why? Because their affection is on Christ, not on their circumstance. He is their life. He's their life. We must keep our eyes on him, for he is our life. Number four, another reason to look up is Christ will come again. The latter part of verse four Jesus is coming again. It only makes sense that we'd be looking up on a continuous basis. This phrase, when, is better translated, whenever Christ appears. He's coming. It's a matter of whenever. The fact of his return is certain. The time is indefinite. I know you all have talked about that before. And by the way, there's, there's, all, sorts of, there's all sorts of theories about how Christ is going to return and when. And, and the, the Best, best advice I can give you that my grandfather gave me years ago, because I was really concerned when I was young, you know, Gramp, I said, Gramp, when's Jesus coming back? He said, I don't know, but we live closer than anybody has ever lived to the return of Christ, and we have a lot of work to do. Let's share Jesus. And he said, you've got two responsibilities. Love God's people and give them Jesus. He must be our affection. He must be all that we have, all that we are, and we know that he's coming again. We acknowledge he's coming. We don't know when, but we have a responsibility to share the gospel until that day comes. Number five, you will appear with him in glory. The very last part of verse verse four. The verb appear means to make visible what is invisible. When Christ returns, your real position in Christ is going to be revealed to the world, to you, to all around. When Jesus is revealed at his coming, when he appears, that what is invisible is made visible. Your position in him, what is invisible, is now visible. You know that when you come to Christ, you have salvation now, right? And we often think about, well, I'll have salvation when I get to heaven. But your salvation is now. But it is invisible to the world. But when Christ returns, it will be made visible. It will be made known of who you are. 1 John 3, 2 tells us, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Paul urges us to look up in this text today and remember who we are now. Who we once were and who we will be when Christ returns. 
Where are your eyes this morning? Are, are they on all the worries of the world? One of the reasons we prayed before we started this service is because people are hurting. And we need to pray. And God hears and he answers. But we need, to, we need to take those burdens and we cast them at the feet of our Lord knowing he cares for us. Cast your cares for him, before him because he cares for you. We cast them before him. Why? That we might look up and worship. We might look up and worship. What is your mind focused on this morning? What gets the attention of your heart? I mean, that, that's something different for each person in this room. If you're honest, if you're like me, it's football season, right? I like to think about football. I like to watch football. There's somebody else in this room that can't stand it. So her affection is not that. That's my affection. So I have to ask myself, where is my affection? Where is my heart? Is it set on this temporary stuff? Or is it set on Christ? What gets the attention of your heart this morning? Make a conscious, deliberate, and daily decision to look up and set your heart and your mind on the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the power of God keeping in your, your mind and your heart and in the right mindset of where Christ is will determine your obedience to Him. It will. It will affect how you live for Him and how you serve Him. Next week, we're going to talk about looking out for sin. We're going to talk about looking out for both sensual sins and social sins. And we're inundated with them. That's what keeps us from looking up, too. This week, trust God to help you to stop looking down and searching for something that will never satisfy you. Instead, seek Christ. He is your life. He's your hope. Surrender to Him all things that you have and, and, and trust Him. Question, what is God speaking to you this morning? Would you stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I just want to ask you a few questions. Is there something in your life that you need to turn away from so that you might pursue Christ wholly today? And some of you, maybe you can't break free from your past because you don't know Christ as your Savior. You know the unbeliever, if you've never turned from your sins in and, and repentance and, and realized that your sins separated you from a holy God, if you've never turned from your sin and trusted in the payment that Christ made on the cross for your sins, you have no ability whatsoever to break free from your past because the old sinful man rules and reigns in your life and he is alive until Christ comes again but he will be put to death and God says there's a place assigned for people who who don't turn from their sins and trust Christ and it's a place called hell and it's a very real place a place where the Bible describes the weeping and gnashing of teeth a place of fire that that is constantly consuming and that you're never really consumed, but you're just in agony. And I, I don't want to scare you into trusting Jesus. That's not my goal. My goal is to declare his truth to you, that your sin has separated you from him, from God, and to call you to turn from that sin and that separation and turn to Christ as your only hope. Set your affection on him and know that he will not only crucify the old man, he will make you new trust in him he will give you eternal life 
If you need to do that, I'm here to visit with you today. Tom will be here as well to talk with you. He offers forgiveness of sin. He doesn't force forgiveness on anyone. He doesn't force his righteousness on anyone. He calls people to repent and believe the gospel. And he calls people. Maybe God's speaking to someone else today. I don't know. Maybe you just need to come pray at this altar. Whatever God asks of you, I pray that you would listen during this time of reflection. Pray. Seek him. Set your affection on him. Just give us... Give him five, ten minutes and listen and know that the invitation never ends. For when you walk out this door, he's a God that still deserves to be worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the, the hope in Jesus. We thank you that our affections are, must be always on him. And God, that's where our hope lies. Our life is in him, in the heavenly places. God, our citizenship is not here God, we are citizens of heaven before we're ever citizens of, of a country, members of a club, finding our identity in our job, our social status, our financial status. God, our status must be in you. Father, call people today. Help them to surrender to you. God, I thank you for this church and your people here. God, help us to be surrendered to you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just take a few moments, please, to reflect. And I'll be waiting here at the front. Tom will as well. You obey whatever Christ asks of you today as Taylor plays and sings.